Welcome to the Magic for Realists podcast. This is the sixth dose of this auditory adventure where we explore the wonder and magic of the everyday world from a practical and grounded perspective. My name is Lindsay Celeste, and I like celebrating the poetic nature of our normal experiences, and I also like sharing tips that have helped me along the way with enjoying and seeing the wonder in the everyday world. So on this podcast, I want to celebrate everyday existence and share some of my magic tricks with you. I'm really glad you're listening, so thanks for joining. This week's episode is called Half a Dozen Poems. It's number six, and so I'd like to share with you six poems. Poems in the loose sense of the word or uh, flexible. The first poem I'd like to share with you is just a reflection on snow. It snowed here where I live on Vancouver Island, and it doesn't snow that often down in the, in like not up in the mountains. And so the last few days have been this wonderful white, uh, wonderland really and if I sound a little bit cold as I'm speaking I'm not sure if cold comes across in a voice but I'm recording in a unheated workshop because my house is too noisy right now to record in um, as I've mentioned before I live in a small little trailer and so when it when it snows it's quiet but when the snow melts, which is it's doing right now, huge chunks are falling off the trees onto my roof. And when I tried recording there, it was like an uneven drum beat, like in the background that I felt would be a little bit too distracting. So if you hear a cold in my voice, it's because of where I'm recording. So I've just been thinking about snow and I really like it when it snows. I love the the blanket really that just covers everything and this time was really special because it didn't it wasn't windy at the same time and often here it'll be if it's there's kind of a snowstorm I guess it's not um it's not gentle enough to stay on everything and this snowfall just stuck to every little piece and it was dry enough and cold enough that it just laced everything. And I noticed as I walked through the forest that different shapes of the trees were more evident than, or they were highlighted. Like the deciduous trees and the ways that their branches are shaped get outlined differently with the way that the snow lands on the branches than the coniferous trees. And sometimes when it's, well, when they're green and brown, different things stand out. Like soon in the springtime, all the deciduous green leaves will just pop all of a sudden. But in the snowfall, I noticed the shape, not quite like the silhouette, because darkness brings another, another noticing, but the, the composition and shape of the trees. And even the way different coniferous trees like hemlock or cedar catch the snow very differently. And to me, this is one of the things that poetry 
in its written form does is it with a with a lessening of words than we use in prose it can show us a new shape a new angle on things that we walk by every day which is one of the reasons I love it and I've also been noticing no it was pointed out to me by my lovely boyfriend that in my intro I've been saying that I celebrate the poetic nature of everyday experiences. However, in my podcast, I've been also giving lots of tips. So I was reflecting on how those are linked, and I I hope I captured a bit more of that in how I introduced the show today, that I, it's almost like this is a poetry class for everyday poetry, like for the poetry of existence, that I want to share some of my own noticings, like share poems with you, and also maybe teach or encourage you in how to notice and write your own lived poetry. I'm not sure if that makes sense, but it's something I'm tumbling around that uh, this is like a poetry class for the poem, the poetics of everyday, everyday magic. I would like to share with you some more traditional written poems this week. But to ease into that, number two is a play on words about names. So as my boyfriend and I were driving up to play in the snow, we started talking about names and how I just, I just out of the blue, I think. Oh no, we were talking about the temperature lukewarm. <laughs> I was like, this is lukewarm, lukewarm tea. And and then I said, I wonder what it's like if, you're, if your name is Luke. Do you like perk up, do your ears perk up every time you hear the phrase lukewarm? And there's actually lots of names that are also words. And you can probably think, think of some. For example, Marina is a beautiful woman's name and also a place where you can park boats. Or uh, Courtney is the name of a, of a town and also a woman's name. There's lots of people named after places. Virginia, uh, Montana, Courtney. Uh, now that people are getting more elaborate, like naming their daughter Paris. But also like Will or Bill or Bob, Rob. Uh, I was on a roll. Now I lost my... Anyways... Lots of names are also words that you could use in a sentence that might actually get used quite often. Like, does does Rob think, oh, rob a bank? Or every time that his name's heard? Probably not. (laughs) Or the other way around, if somebody says, oh, I'm just going to go rob a bank, does Mr. Rob think, oh, they're talking to me? Probably not. And just bear with me. This is sort of a goofy thought I've had for a long time. And then I thought, and so I don't have a name that is also a word. Well, one of my Celeste is a color or very closely related to celestial, which we can use in a sentence. However, Lindsay is not a other word. It can be used as a last name, but it's not a word that we use in a sentence. So then I thought, well... What if it was? What if Lindsay is also a word in a sentence? 
And just, we started turning these words, these names over into words and feeling into what they would mean. So try this with your own name. So here it goes with mine, Lindsay. Now, I wonder, is that an adjective or a verb? Lindsay. Oh, it's Lindsay in here. Oh, that thing's just Lindsaying. <laughs> and when I, when I sort of sense into the word, as I would when you're trying to learn a language and you make a guess, or you're trying to sink into a poem and you feel the connotations of a word, not just the dictionary definition, what came to mind for me is that Lindsay would mean the way snow is perched on something precarious like on a telephone wire or a thin branch where the snow is just linseyed up there. And it's like, it's not dangerous. It's not, uh, it's not like half in, half out. It's just kind of like a little bit on edge. Like we don't have a word for that in English other than maybe precariously perched. But imagine if the snow is just linseyed on the branch. And I thought, oh, you could also use this word. Like if you, um, if you go to an event or you've invited somebody over and it's kind of one of those not quite risky social situations, but kind of a bit edgy, like you're not quite sure if your two friends are going to get along, then you would say that the situation was kind of Lindsay. Like it was like, eh, it could go this way or that way. Hard to know. And it's not like, it's not going to explode. It's not dangerous. It's just like, a little bit on edge and you don't know which way it's going to fall. <laughs> so if you happen to have a name that is normally also used as a word, I'm curious if, if you ever hear it as your name, or if you don't, I wonder if your name was a word, what would it mean? And this wasn't to me, and I, like, I didn't start off thinking, you know, what are characteristics that describe me? Perhaps I am also kind of Lindsay, like snow on a branch. But just as a, as a sound, what would it mean? And to try and sort of dig into the automatopoeia, that means the word sounds like the thing it's describing. So like plink is kind when you say it, it sounds like water hitting a dish, like plink or boom sounds like it's our mouths trying to make the sound that we're describing by the word boom. That's automatopoeia. It's a poetic tool. And a surprising amount of our words are somewhat automatopoeic, that they, they have a feeling to them in our mouths and to our ears that goes well with what they mean. So that's a little option for a personal poem is to try and turn your name sound into a word. The third poem of this half a dozen poems is one I wrote a few years ago that remains one of my favorites. And so I'd like to share it with you. I'm going to read it twice because I think most poems are better read twice. And Often we read poems, like see them in text, and don't get to hear them. So throughout these next poems, I hope that you enjoy hearing them read and just 
allow the sound, because poetry is so good with sound, sink into and kind of be its own music. And you can analyze the words if you'd like, or you can also let the words be like snow and just kind of settle over everything in your mind and see if some new shapes become visible. So this poem I wrote is called Meet Me. Meet me where the mantras make out as adolescents, in the church where hickeys come to choir. Meet me where the whips take a pew with daffodils, and the cellos resist all spoons with fire. Meet me where the shrill of it invokes the audience to cream and flatten all you've hoped for in the innocence of streams. Meet me in the hallway of your overripe aorta with the tome of your insistence and decree. Meet me in the valley before sunrise on the back of a blazing stallion wild and free. Meet me here where skin's awaiting and the sky is our only feet. Meet me past the drawbridge where the stars stole all our sheets. Meet me where the tide trickles with the moon dance, where quills accost the rich and fame with hush. Meet me on the other side, past greed and tiptoed prescience, where true is breathed and trust is swam, and never is the never needed known. Meet me in imperfect place with ants and flies and flying things, or meet me in the kitchen if the garden's fast asleep. Meet me where the mist knows, the grass goes, and the wisdom wins it all. Meet me everywhere, there are no fences. So as I read it a second time, again, imagine the words are like snow, just kind of tickling and gently falling everywhere in the landscape of your psyche. Meet me. Meet me where the mantras make out as adolescents in the church where hickeys come to choir. Meet me where the whips take a pew with daffodils and the cellos resist all spoons with fire. Meet me where the shrill of it invokes the audience to cream and flatten all you've hoped for in the innocence of streams. Meet me in the hallway of your overripe aorta with the tome of your insistence and decree. Meet me in the valley before sunrise, on the back of a blazing stallion, wild and free. Meet me here where skin's awaiting, and the sky is our only feet. Meet me past the drawbridge, where the stars stole all our sheets. Meet me where the tide trickles with the moon dance, where quills accost the rich and fame with hush. Meet me on the other side, past greed and tiptoed prescience, where true is breathed and trust is swam, and never is the never needed known. Meet me in imperfect place, with ants and flies and flying things, or meet me in the kitchen if the garden's fast asleep. Meet me where the mist knows, the grass goes, and the wisdom wins it all. Meet me everywhere, there are no fences.
The fourth poem I'd like to share with you is one by Mary Oliver, and she is one of my perennial favorite poets. If you haven't met Mary Oliver yet in her writing, let me have the great honor of introducing you. She is a master of noticing the beauty in small details, especially with animals, and of drawing us into connection with the more than human world and with each other. This one's called Snow Geese. Oh, to love what is lovely and will not last. What a task to ask of anything or anyone. Yet it is ours, and not by the century or the year, but by the hours. One fall day I heard above me, and above the sting of the wind, a sound I did not know, and my look shot upward. It was a flock of snow geese, winging it faster than the ones we usually see, and being the color of snow, catching the sun. So they were, in part at least, golden. I held my breath, as we sometimes do, to stop time when something wonderful has touched us. As with a match, which is lit and bright, but does not hurt in the common way. But delightfully, as if delight were the most serious thing you ever felt. The geese flew on. I have never seen them again. Maybe I will, someday, somewhere. Maybe I won't. It doesn't matter. What matters is that when I saw them, I saw them as through the veil, secretly, joyfully, clearly. Ooh, ooh, it makes me like pleasant shivers, and not just because I'm cold. I'm going to read it to you a second time. It's like you don't just want one bite of something this good. Snow geese. Oh, to love what is lovely and will not last. Last. What a task to ask of anything or anyone. Yet it is ours, and not by the century or the year, but by the hours. One fall day I heard above me, and above the sting of the wind, a sound. I did not know, and my look shot upward. It was a flock of snow geese, winging it faster than the ones we usually see. And, being the color of snow, catching the sun, so they were, in part at least, golden. I held my breath, as we do sometimes, to stop time when something wonderful has touched us. As with a match which is lit and bright, but does not hurt in the common way. But delightfully, as if delight were the most serious thing you ever felt. Ooh, as if delight were the most serious thing you ever felt. The geese flew on. I have never seen them again. Maybe I will someday, somewhere. Maybe I won't. It doesn't matter. What matters is that when I saw them, I saw them as through the veil, secretly, Joyfully, clearly. That's Mary Oliver. Oh.
oh, I, I like to think if there is some way of encountering people who've already died, that I could encounter her. And I guess I do when I read her poetry and when I think I maybe touch on something of the miraculous that she's noticing. And, and that maybe walking through the forest and seeing the shapes of trees is something like what she noticed. The next poet I'd like to introduce you to is a woman named Lorna Crozier. And she's also one of my favorite poets, who I'm sure you'll hear from again. And this one is called The God of Matter. It's from a collection she, of poems she wrote called God of Shadows. And each little piece is an ode to a god or goddess of something. I think she calls them all gods, though some of them are, are female. And things like god of cats, god of balconies, god of grim, god of insects. And they are such a playful uh, window into an angle up on life and something we might need to honor that we don't usually this one isn't fitting with the material nature of what I, what I want to celebrate and share with you. God of matter. Resists abstractions. You throw them at her. Justice, equilibrium, shame, and she bats them back. Try comely. Try ugly. They're of no concern. <clears throat> she puts her stick into any matter, into anything that matters, and gives it a stir. Then she asks the most important question. Does it need more salt? When she sees worry on a page, she rubs it out and writes in toe. She writes snout over soul, pine cone over ego, a thousand grains of sand over sorrow. No wonder she's the one you light a candle for in the tool shed, the root cellar, the attic full of many things. After much beseeching and your generous donations to the poor, she lets you write hope, though to temper it, you must intone under your breath one of the following. A, the peeling skin of paint under the lid of the can. B, the wishbone drying on the windowsill. C, the line a shrew draws in the dust on the floor of the cabin with his needle nose. E. <laughs> This is a, it's a good last line because the workshop where I'm in has the evidence of lots and lots of vermin <laughs> who have been very hopeful scurrying around. Again, I'm going to read it to you a second time. A note on the second thing. There was this moment snowshoeing yesterday when my hands and feet got so cold that I had to go and like traipse the loop again while my boyfriend was cooking our next course of the meal because I couldn't sit still because my digits were freezing. And so I ended up on this, like we were just traipsing through the woods. So it wasn't a track, but I was following the track we had gone on. And there's something very interesting about going back over the path that I thought I was only walking on once. And then to compound it, once I'd gotten back around the kind of, it was almost like a Winnie the Pooh loop, like we sort of were just wandering and almost got lost and then got back to where we had our food. And when I got back around the first time, I was still too cold. So I had to do it again. So here I am on the third time around 
this path that I didn't plan on making into a loop. And there was this strange intimacy with these little details of the path that I noticed the first time around, like, oh, the way this tree is just particularly bent over with the snow. But it was like unimportant information. And by the second time, I was like, oh, hey, I recognize this. And by the third time, it was kind of like even more familiar. And it was just this very small study in how we kind of get affectionate to things that are familiar. So I hope you develop some affection for these poems as I read them a second time. God of matter. Resists abstractions. You throw them at her. Justice, equilibrium, shame. And she bats them back. Try comely. Try ugly. They're of no concern. She puts her stick into any matter, into anything that matters, and gives it a stir. Then she asks the most important question. Does it need more salt? When she sees worry on a page, she rubs it out and writes in toe. She writes over snout with soul, pine cone over ego, a thousand grains of sand over sorrow. No wonder she's the one you light a candle for in the tool shed, the root cellar, the attic full of many things. After much beseeching and your generous donations to the poor, she lets you write hope. Though, you, though to temper it, you must intone under your breath one of the following. A, the peeling skin of paint under the lid of the can. B, the wishbone drying on the windowsill. Or C, the line a shrew draws in the dust on the floor of the cabin with his needle nose. Okay, change of background noise. I had to come back into my house because I just got way too cold. So bear with me with the background noise and I'm going to read you the sixth and final poem for this week. This is one I wrote this morning and I'm going to share it with you because I want you to know that it's okay to write not very elaborate um, off-the-cuff poems and that perhaps in doing so we might unearth something surprising. So I wrote this one and it just started off with a thought of something in my kitchen and became a little bit of a a little bit of a gem. So this one's called The Unknown and I'm only going to read it to you once because I don't think it's polished enough <laughs> and I'm already feeling shy about reading it once. So I think I can probably only handle once right now. In my kitchen there is a jar with a label, which is an inside joke for only me. I used to be in charge of a kitchen where two men required everything, even the most obvious of things, to have their correct names attached, and I complied. Even though I knew it was boring and cumbersome and insulting to label the honey jar, because to anyone paying attention it is obvious, the golden nectar unmistakable and undefinable by an Anglo-Saxon word, albeit a nice one, honey, which I have been called when someone felt sweetly, and then when it spilled, the most delicious disaster. I'm telling you, there is no way to clean up honey. Only call in all the bears you know, or more likely, 
the sugar ants and wait, which I did. Time has been kind, and now, where once I would have labeled it a loss, in my kitchen, instead, is a carefully penned label that reads, The Unknown, and plenty of unspilled sweetness in another jar beside it. And what I'm noticing now as I go to close up this episode is that there are actually a few threads throughout all these poems. And there's a there's a Lindsay of not knowing if the, the poem is going to go profound or simple. There's this resting feeling of the peace of snowfall. There's the background anxiety of being cold and of the noises. And even my insecurity of wondering who's going to listen to this and what it's like to share my voice out into the world. I notice that there's a, it feels like it's on edge. It's just balancing there and maybe things are melting and it's about to drip down. And as the snow melts, there's this feeling of loss because it's so beautiful when it's perched on everything. And then as it thuds on my roof. And there's also this hope, maybe like a little shrew going across the ground looking for something to nibble at, that spring is pretty close at hand. And that like geese flying across the sky, you can't really hold on to anything. And like the annoyance of kitchens past, and the deeper things I'm alluding to, and then the sweetness that spills over everything and is either a mess or a treasure and we can't figure out which one. And it's just honey, sticky, and the poems, some of them stick to us. Some of them float on by and we'll never think of them again. Some of them melt, some of them freeze, some of them show us new shapes. The kettle is making its own racket in the background because I'm trying to warm up. And I hope that wherever you are, whether it's snowed where you are or not, whether your roof has thudding chunks of ice falling on it, or whether it's very quiet, that somewhere in this half a dozen poems, you found something delicious or helpful or funny or inspiring. I really thank you for listening. Thank you for being on this journey with me. And as I humbly and with a bit of meandering share these little snippets of poems and magic and tricks with you. I'd love to know who you are and any reflections from this podcast or other ones. And also, please go ahead and share this with any realists you feel could use a little magic. And to give strangers at large a greater chance of encountering it through the algorithm, please rate, review, and subscribe to this show. I would be very grateful. And until next time, may you experience the magic of the real world. Bye for now.